Hello, my name is Dominik Schwickert. In September 2021, the German electorate voted for change. Will this result not just in change, but also progress? A very warm welcome to our Choking Progress podcast. This is the fourth episode of our Progressive Governance series. The Progressive Governance series explores how progressives can win majorities and build capacities to govern. It stands at the intersection of social, green and liberal politics while encouraging innovative thinking that can deliver progress during the 2020s. In this episode, we are excited to hear from our special guests whether Germany is edging towards a historic three-party progressive government. This is an exclusive post-election analysis of the 2021 German election with Ricarda Lang, Tobias Dürr and Jeremy Cliff. Ricarda Lang, Green member of the German parliament, vice chair of the German Green Party and part of the Green Party's coalition negotiation team. And also in this episode is Tobias Dürr, founding member of Das Progressive Zentrum. The session is moderated by Jeremy Cliff, the international editor of The New Statesman. Keep on listening to hear them analyze the results of the 2021 German election and what they mean for progressive politics in Germany, Europe and also transatlantic relations. Hello everyone who's joining us online here on Zoom for this conversation about the aftermath of Germany's election hosted by Das Progressive Zentrum. We're going to be discussing Germany's political turning point, uh, change or progress. I'm Jeremy Cliff, the international editor of The New Statesman, based here in Berlin. Some uh, viewers may know that we've been covering this election closely and are very interested in the aftermath, so I was very grateful to the DPZ for inviting me to host this discussion. And I'm also very glad because we have two great observers of progressive politics in Germany to discuss it with. Uh, Tobias Dürr is a founding member of Das Progressive Zentrum, one of the driving forces behind it, and a particular expert on social democratic politics in Germany, on Olaf Scholz, on the SPD, so he can bring us that perspective, as well as the bigger picture on what this result means and what to expect from the next weeks. And I'm also delighted to be joined by Ricarda Lang, who is vice president of the Greens here in Germany. Um, she was elected to the Bundestag in this last election. So congratulations, Ricarda, on that. And she's also part of the Green negotiating team for an upcoming coalition. So what better person to talk to about the Green perspective on all of this? So um, with that, let's get stuck into the election result. And I suppose the big question, first of all, you know, when I, when I first came to Germany to cover the 2017 election, there was this term, Aufbruchstimmung. Is there a, a, a mood of change or, or a turning point in the country? And the answer in 2017 appeared to be no. I think in this election, there's a lot more to be debated there, whether whether this was a change election. So I'd like to hear from both of you, first of all, on to what extent you see this result as a mandate for change, as a mandate for something new. Ricardo, perhaps you'd like to come in first. The Greens were the party that saw the biggest gain in, in terms of percentage points of this election compared to 2017. So what's your perspective on this? Was, this, was there an Aufbruchsstimmung to be seen in the results? I would definitely say so, because I think what we see on a larger scale is that the great coalition that was formed by the Social Democrats and the Conservatives, this was definitely, I think, a coalition that was for many people 
standing for status quo, for everything staying the way it is, for always looking into the present and not so much into the future. And in many ways, I think this election was a turning point, turning away from the status quo politics and also from a coalition that stands for the present and there's a little future to be seen in there. Still, I think it's not like we would have expected and wished for, for a few years, like one year ago, for example, as a Green Party, for there being the smaller parties who were smaller parties beforehand, like you said, the, the big um, used to have the big parties, the um, Conservatives and Social Democrats, and then the smaller parties. And for us, we would have wished for especially the Green Party, to get more votes and to become as big as the other two parties. I think at this point, it's a step towards a new party system, but not a new party system being realized yet. We see that the old formula of there's one winning party and then there's one to two small parties that come towards this party. This is not working anymore. But still, we could see, especially with the high results for the Social Democrats, that their poll position was um, defended during the election also within the more progressive part of the uh, society where we were kind of like in yeah in competition with the social democrats for the leading position of the left um, uh, center part of the society or the progressive part of the society so i think what we see is a moderate turning point for our party system here in germany and therefore definitely a wish for change and especially I think the wish to form a progressive coalition. I think this is what job we have now. This is the Social Democrats and also in my opinion, the liberals do have at this moment. And um, now we have to see what comes out of that. And we'll be coming on to that in a second. Uh, thank you for that, Ricardo. Uh, Tobias, could you give us perhaps a bit more on the social democratic perspective on this? You know, the social democrats gained, what was it, some five points in this election. They're the biggest party. Very few people would have predicted that a few months ago. And at the same time, they are the party that's been in power for 12 of the last 16 years. Olaf Scholz is Angela Merkel's vice chancellor. You know, the, the, the SPD voter base is a little bit older than those of that, of, for example, the Greens. Do you think it can be interpreted as a vote for change? Well, let me first uh, thank you for, for sharing this, uh, uh, Jeremy, and uh, also uh, let me congratulate Ricardo on, on being elected uh, to the German Bundestag, uh, which is quite an achievement. Um, very well done. I mean, there are a few things we might we must uh, take into account. The, the Chancellor didn't stand again. Uh, Angela Merkel didn't stand again. It's a fair guess that the election would have turned out very differently if she had decided to stand again, because people trusted her. There is this um, center ground in German society, the, the Merkel middle, you could call it, that uh, trusted her probably more than her party over the last number of years. Now that Merkel didn't stand anymore, they were, had to decide where, where, what to look to. And they decided to change the party to um, a substantial degree. Uh, the Christian Democrats lost 9% and the three parties that now could come out as the winning coalition together won 12 points. So there was this mood for change. We cannot trust the Christian Democrats, and I totally agree with Ricardo on that, with governing the country anymore. That was that was a clear and decisive vote. The CDU is left with 24% of the vote, which is a historic uh, low to so, so to that extent, it's a um, vote for change. 
But, and we may discuss that, and I'm only going to, to, to say this now, I mean, what kind of policy change in terms of political culture, etc., do people really expect? I think in one way it's rather interesting that I think this election was both a signal of change or a wish for change for many people and also a wish for stability, especially if Ola Scholz is being the chancellor candidate for the Social Democrats, which I think out of the three candidates was the person standing more for stability and also like you know, kind of like giving people trust in those ways of, well, you know who I am a little bit. That's what's, what was beforehand, I think four years ago, and um, the thing with where Chancellor Merkel went into election with, and now I think the stability point was especially connected to Ola Scholz And I think, therefore, maybe we as a Green Party, and I think we were only partially successful in communicating this, but we, our program for the next years, for the next 20 years, not just the election, we named it Change Brings Stability. And what we were trying to say with that was that I think nowadays as a society, we don't so much stand in front of the decision, do we want change, yes or no? But we see, and I think a lot of society sees that change is happening. The climate crisis is the biggest change we can imagine as a society, but also when we look on the markets and international scale. And I think the decision more so is, do we try to ignore the change and make it into something that happens to us? So bring ourselves in a passive position, or do we kind of try to politically use the change and also like change the way we do politics? And I think in some ways, this election was more on like the second scale. It was not so much change, change, change. Yes, we want everything to change, but more so we see things changing and we need stability and stability only works with people and also parties who can manage to change maybe. Everything must change so that everything can stay the same almost. <laughs> I find this the the this meeting point between the change impetus and the stability impetus very interesting and I think that will be a, a running theme of any traffic light government. Talking of which, I'd like to hear from both of you on that prospect. Obviously, those three parties, the SPD, the Greens and the FDP are the, the three winners. There is a sense of momentum behind that. I think we have to see how the coalition talks go, but I think it looks like the most likely outcome. I'd like to hear from both of you. How likely do you think it is? I mean, there is a consensus that it has a good prospects of coming together. There's a lot of will uh, behind it from all three parties. But there are obviously some big differences between the parties, quite aside from policy, almost philosophically as well, you know, in terms of how do you tackle these challenges like climate change? Do you have a state-led, you know, sort of public sector-led answer to climate change or digitization, or do you let the market lead? Big differences in terms of how you see a society and the state. Do you think some sort of common ground could be found? Perhaps you could both give an indication of where you stand on that, but also where you think the most difficult points will be in the coalition talks. Uh, Tobias, do you want to jump in on that first? Yes, I do think that there is enough common ground. Historically, these three parties are those that stood for fortunate progress. In the Kaiserreich, in the 19th century, there was a progressive Fortschrittspartei, a liberal party for progressive change that at the time even cooperated with the Social Democrats, a party of progress, perhaps sometimes a little statist when they govern for a long time, but the historic idea of social democracy is progress. And the Greens, of course, are a party of, of progressive transformation. Otherwise, they would never have been founded in the first place. The, the reason was that they were unhappy with the status quo. They wanted things uh, to change. All these three parties share this basic idea to a much larger extent than 
some of the present actors perhaps realize because they think in terms of uh, raising or lowering taxes, but that's not the whole story and shouldn't be. Where do you see the difficulties, just briefly, before I come to Ricarda? The difficult question will be whether the FDP, the Liberals, whether they take their historical heritage as a fortunate, as a progressive party seriously, or whether they decide that their recent past has been one of the defenders of a status quo, that of, of lowering taxes, being highly critical of public services and, and the state. So, so what is more important for them? That will basically decide where they go. And if they throw in their lot with the progressive parties, this could become a very interesting story. But they would have first have to realize that's, that that is where their future lies. I think it's fair to say that going in with this CDU-CSU is a pretty unattractive prospect, even for those parts of the FDP that are ideologically aligned. I mean, what a mess, you know, a terribly unpopular chancellor candidate, party disunity, you know, a certain amount of political pragmatism must be at play here. But Ricardo, you're, you're involved in this process. I mean, I wonder if you could pick up Tobias's points on, on how the FDP or where the FDP can be brought into this sort of project. You know, the Green Party, in some ways, shares a certain social milieu with the FDP. You know, it's a bit more urban, a bit more fairly highly educated. Someone put it on a discussion I was on last week as two sides of sometimes the same street in sort of some number of German cities. But sort of in the last years, it's felt like the Greens and the FDP are very much at odds on a lot of the big, the big topics, and the big cultural topics as well of our time. How do you see it? Do you think some sort of compromise can be found? And would you, would you pick out any other challenges in these talks other than those that Tobias has raised? Well, I think I would see four possibilities and maybe two challenges. I think the first one aligns very good with what you just were just talking about. I think maybe a coalition of these three parties can kind of pacify some culture wars that have been going on throughout the last years that have been especially projected onto the Liberals and onto the Green Party. I think even though they maybe both parties stand for a part of society that is bigger than themselves, but it has been when we were talking about eating meat, how to be mobile. Also, there are a lot of debates on language when it comes to feminism, etc. And for me, most of these debates have been really tiring because I think they have kind of been rather taking the few away from what is really important and rather like trying to dematerialize materialistic questions to, to tackle like tackling the climate crisis is not going to happen because I buy less avocados or I use Lastenrad or I don't use Lastenrad. This is going to be really unimportant for everything we have to do during climate crisis. I should just say for, for, for non-German speakers, Lastenrad is a cargo bike which has <laughs> for some strange reason become a new icon of the German culture. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that was like... one big debate we had last year which shows how ironic it is and I think if these two parties have to come together based on the challenges we actually face as a society based on the reality we face this can kind of pacify this culture wars and really bring us to a, a point or to a place where we have to talk about measurements and what on a, on a material level can be done and should be done and I think this could be something really good for society so a coalition that is focused on reality rather than on cultural impetus and cultural debates that kind of take away the view of reality. I also would agree, I think, with Tobias there that those are maybe the parties that are most focused on the future out of the party system. So therefore, what you call Fortschritt, that wants something, <laughs> as stupid as it sounds, but you can like, especially if you compare to the conservatives at the moment, you can actually say it's not the same thing we want. In many ways, it goes 
directly opposite direction, but it is parties that want something that in a way I think make it more interesting to form a coalition than always fighting against someone who doesn't really want anything apart from the status quo being the status quo. And I think therefore it also can be interesting to form a coalition that is not so much like we call it complementaire coalition, complementary coalition, where you get a little bit for that, you, we get the climate, you get the social rights and the liberals get the digitalization. This is not going to work anymore. I think there needs to be a common vision where we kind of try to find a common perspective for those different kind of ideologies. And I think this can be really interesting, also not just on a political, but on a societal level. But there is the big challenge. I think we're going to find easy compromises on a lot of points and a lot of subjects that are like society-based, for example, when it comes to reproductive rights, when it comes to queer rights, when it comes also to modern migration policies. But I think if there would be a coalition, I think this was the, would be the thing we have to avoid, a coalition that is really progressive on those parts, but on the other hand is not progressive, even regressive when it comes to social and economic politics. This could widen the separation within our society, especially between cities and between the rural areas. And also, I think, between people who feel like change is kind of taking over and who feel and also like instability in a social way. And I think, therefore, the question of investments, the question of economic policies, and also the question of equality and not widening the scale from rich to poor is going to be really important for this coalition not to lose society, also when it is putting forward for societal change. I'd like to put that point to Tobias and specifically two follow-up questions. The first is the SPD, compared to the other two parties in this coalition, has, shall we say, a, a voter base that is a little closer to the national average. It's older, it's a bit more balanced between urban and rural. It's also more balanced between east and west. I think that's something we can't lose sight of. Um, so first of all, is kind of what role would the SPD, particularly as the leading partner in this in this coalition with Olaf Scholz, and we can talk about him as a prospective chancellor, play in holding all of that together? And I mean, secondly, um, Ricardo talks about these material aspects beyond the culture wars. And obviously, that's where there is a big difference. And you only need to look at the distributional impact of the party programs that were put before Germans at the election to see the big difference between the SPD and the Greens on the one hand, with more of a public investment driven, a more progressive tax and spending profile, and the FDP, um, which is, you know, has comes from a different philosophy economically. How do you see that very material side of these coalition talks kind of being, being reconciled? Well, we haven't yet talked about the Social Democrats winning strategy, but the winning strategy uh, was very much based on the recognition that all the ideas of reform, transformation, renewal, going forward in this society will not get you very far unless you bring along the, the people who feel that change is not always on their side or hasn't been on their side in the last 20 or so years. And I think this very basic, that, that is a very, very important um, idea as Olaf Scholz ran on the idea of respect, respect for, for all people in this country, irrespective of their occupation, their educational status, their biographical background, where they come from. That For the time being, that is just a headline, if you will. But the social democratic contribution, also, as you mentioned, as the party, for example, that won 10 percentage points in the East, 
can be or would be to uh, to always make sure that the transformation that we're going into, the, the climate uh, change-induced transformation, the industrial transformation, the energy transformation, all these aspects of, of the transformation that are ahead of us are things that don't lead to the lower half or lower two-thirds of the society being fearful. Um, because if they are, the whole process will, will stall. There is a situation in this society where you can't get anywhere if you, if you don't bring um, more people into the process than, say, the Greens have on their side or the wealthy or educational wealthy uh, liberals have on their side. I think that would be the very, very important social democratic um, aspect. And now you'd have to say, to tell me, Jeremy, where with the second part of your question would come in. The second point was on, on um, public investment in particular and where the common ground could be. I mean, there's been interesting talk about, you know, a wealth fund or some sort of investment agency that you could reconcile with the with the debt break, which is very important to the Liberals especially, but also is is a, an article of faith for Olaf Scholz as well. Let's not forget that. Um, where do you see the common ground there that would, that would make possible the sort of investment needed for this modernising project? Of course, investment is needed. I mean, there's a, there's a, if you read the survey on, on Germany and the, the economists, for example, a few weeks ago before the elections, this internationally and everywhere there's this agreement that this is uh, low investment countries in many ways, at least in public services are, don't, don't work as, as well as they should. People in, in the countryside, in rural areas uh, feel left behind because public transport system isn't the way it should be and all these things. So, We'll, we'll have to pay for this in some ways. There has to be public investment. And what is important is that this isn't seen as a, as a trade-off kind of thing. Um, business people, for example, business people in, in, who vote for the FDP must or should, I think, realize that this country is based on the support of the people who, who, who live here, who work here, and who grow have their families here and if this if society doesn't work for them they will opt out and they have shown they've proven in, in no one has mentioned that yet it's, it's a surprise but <laughs> people have opted out of the of the democratic process in the US in the UK in various uh, European and non-european countries by voting populist uh, um, parties. It's interesting seeing also in the media, in organisations that often are associated with a sort of free market approach to politics, for example, the Financial Times, you know, have been exploring in the last years much more how you hold societies together, how you sort of sort of save capitalism from itself. So I think there's there's an interesting um, line of, of common ground there. Um, Ricardo, I wonder if you'd like to come in on any of those, but also specifically, um, as Tobias brought up the, the Olaf Scholz campaign and this idea of respect and how that played into the result, whether you might also reflect on the green campaign for a bit. I mean, obviously, for some, it was, you know, it was a big step forward, but it was also short of some of the hopes and the expectations of, of that campaign early on. What's the sense within the party about what was what went wrong about the campaign, what went, went right, and the lessons for the future? Just one sentence, because you just mentioned the Financial Times. I think what we've also been seeing throughout the last year is that the economic debate has changed drastically. So therefore, it's no longer that left parties or center-left parties are kind of like there's the economic debate and there's the left parties and they're just like talking apart from each other. But I think 
do we have kind of like yeah a, a development within the economic debate that leans toward more investments more infrastructure as a central part of keeping a society together and also public service as a central part of keeping that together i think this has also been rather hard for part of the liberals and also for the conservatives because kind of like they're in terms of grundzeugne um, that they could also always like um, uh, depend on were certainly not like following the same ideology as them. And I think they have kind of like walked past a path where they could have been like aligning themselves with the economic reality we are experiencing at the moment. But from the question you asked about the Green Party, I think what was the first like most important step with our, our campaign was having a chancellor campaign. It was the first time for a Green Party in Germany. And I think, I don't know, I'm not trying to like neglect any um, international parties I don't have on my like mind at the moment. But for like a Green Party, I think in general in Europe, I have in my mind at the moment, like to say we are taking a leading position and also approaching this as a leading party within our milieus and this was the right decision. I think this is really clear for us, even though we didn't come out with the result we wanted in the end. I mean, there's no way of talking apart from that or talking that away. But I think that in many ways, this has also changed the political election campaign in a general, like the political election in a general at this time, because it was no longer that there's always two parties competing against each other, but certainly there was a third um, a component and also I think component of climate crisis brought in a new subject that even though we couldn't like for us I think highlight the subject big enough to get the votes that result with it but I think we still managed to change the political debate with that and also change the political system and what we are seeing at the moment with the, how the coalition talks are going this has something to do because we said we want to have a chancellor um, like a few years ago, like two years ago, we took this decision or one year ago, we um, really like finalized this decision. And I think therefore for us now, party development, like I said it right in the beginning, this has been like a step into a direction. It hasn't been like the goal where we wanted to go, but I think it has been a step into the right direction. What for us was rather challenging, I think, and I think this is something where we are going to have to find the right path within the next years, is on the one hand, seeing the climate crisis, existential crisis, an existential crisis that influences every part of our society, that influences our security, that influences our health system, that influences how young people are going to live. Well, that's rather obvious. And on the other hand, not being the party that is just there for the climate crisis, but not being like we always say, eco app is kind of like a condescending word for it, not being this party. And I think this is something we have been struggling with throughout the election campaign, finding the right way of aligning, not saying, well, for us, climate is one of many subjects because everybody was talking about climate. The SPD was talking about climate, the CDU. So we would have been one more party who says, oh, yeah, this is important too. But saying, well, this is the existential subject and still gaining the trust that we are a leading party. And I think from a leading party, people always expect not to be the party for one subject, but to be a party that in a crisis that nobody expected can lead, in a crisis nobody expected can manage, and this needs to be like of a competence in all areas. And I think this is going to be something where we will be rather finding us within the next four years. Yeah, and if I may say so, having covered both the 2017 election and the 2021 election, 
it did make a huge difference having Annalena Baerbock as part of the TV debates. I mean, when I look back to oh, that really? incredibly, if I may say, so boring debate between uh, Angela Merkel and Martin Schulz back in 2017, how much more lively they were. And admittedly, perhaps it was because it was more of a change election anyway, but I think it did make a big positive difference. And since we're talking about the FDP too, perhaps it would have been even more lively with uh, Christian Lindner there. Maybe this is something for next time, you know, especially if they end up in government together. So I think that was definitely a good thing for German democracy and the quality of the debate, absolutely. Very interesting. Well, I'd just like to, before we turn to questions, and thank you to all of those of you who have sent questions with some really good ones here. So uh, please add yours if you haven't done so yet. Um, one final thought for the main discussion, and that is, there's a lot of discussion about some sort of sort of progressive or centre-left wave internationally. You know, we've had a, a generation-defining election in the US with the election of Joe Biden. You know, social dem democracy, especially if Olaf Scholz ends up in the chancellery here in Berlin, will be probably stronger, you know, by European comparison in the next year or so than it has been for a long time. You know, the Social Democratic Party family will be the the largest at the European Council. We're also seeing Greens win elections in a lot of countries and rising in things like municipal elections in France or in other parts of the continent. So I suppose the big question is, are we seeing some sort of shift towards the centre-left, Europe-wide and internationally? Or are these isolated or individual cases to do with local circumstances? Um, Tobias, what's your view on that? And we'll have that that red, green, yellow coalition now, including the Liberals, whether these three parties will be able to make it work. Will that be an antagonistic thing or will that be something that, as Olaf Scholz suggested the other day, will that be a government that will try to get elected in four years? So so is that the idea? Do we, do we come together and work on solving problems, on uh, getting ahead and asking the German people again in four years, do, do you still support that government for what it has done and what it will continue to do? So if that is the idea, if under the headline of progress, real progress is made, people see that progress, then it could become a, a, a shift. I'm not saying I'm skeptical. I think a lot of the participants in those um, talks now have learned from past mistakes But I can only say that I, I totally agree with Olaf Scholz there. A coalition has to try to succeed as a coalition. And if it does, then then this this can be uh, the beginning of something more. Yeah. Greater than the sum of its parts. Ricardo, what's your view on this? Do you think we are seeing some some wider shift in the zeitgeist you know, towards the center left? I think it's really interesting and also a little bit funny for me that we are asking this question right now because I remember back when the last election we had here in Germany in 2017, everybody was talking about the Rechtsruck, so like the leaning of the society towards the right-wing parties and like Tobias already said, they're not gone. The AfD, especially in the East, we have like it's turning more into a geographic problem and not so much into a problem that faces the whole of society in the same way, but they are still there. But still, for me, it's really interesting that four years ago, this was the big fear, I think, of most democratic parts of society, that there is going to be the rise of the right-wing parties. We saw that with the election of Trump, we saw that in many countries, and how fast the times have changed, and now we are talking about the zeitgeist leaning towards the left um, part. But I think it is, is something that is actually happening, because reality is kind of pushing people towards that. I don't think it's for many people so much a decision that they are like, ideologically saying, well, I am like a convinced lefty now at the moment. But I think it's that they are seeing when we see the challenges that reality brings to us, especially the climate crisis. But I would also say, for example, 
a society where migration is just normal, where everybody knows someone that has people or that has parents that were born from another country that is not called Lang um, with their last name, but maybe uh, Charlie, then uh, they just see well what kind of politics fits this challenges and I think this needs to be a politic that is prepared to change something and also to change up things and to be focused on the future and I think therefore many people are now leaning towards the left politics because well it's just what they see fitting towards reality especially when you go towards younger people and I think also that kind of this neoliberal zeitgeist is coming to an end where the thought for many people was that individually you can change everything. We don't really need the state. We don't really need collectors. You just, when we like, for example, look towards the climate crisis, you need to buy differently. You need to like be mobile differently. You need to do this and this and this. And I think many, especially young people have seen, well, we tried that. And look, the subventions are still going to the fossil industry. It doesn't change anything what we do on an individual level. And I think, therefore, the role of the state and also the role of collective like measurements and collective actions has changed for many people. And this is also something where the left reciprocates. And I think on last time, it's not, this is not written down for the next years. We can't say, well, now this is happening. And this is going for years, like um, there's going to be so many left winds on an international scale. But I think it's a possibility because a few years ago, when we were talking about still like one year ago, when we were talking about the German election, there was always in like the political Berlin for many people the thought, you can only get votes within your social camp. The Green Party can get votes from the Social Democrats. The FDP can get votes from the Conservatives. And now we see that this is not true. Center-left has won on a total within this election. And therefore, we see social camps are not something that are static, but they can be changed with good election campaigns and with the policies that fit the reality. And I think this is a huge possibility for us, but also for democracies. I'd like to turn for a reaction to Josef Lensch, who is managing partner at the Innovation in Politics Institute here in Germany, here in Berlin, and the author of Political Entrepreneurship. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to turn to you. You're involved, obviously, in this question of political innovation, but also have worked with the the Liberal Neos Party in Austria. So could we have a a liberal perspective on this election result from you? Uh, Particularly of interest to me is the, the, the fact that the FDP did so well among young people in particular, very striking, along with the Greens. Maybe you'd want to talk a bit about that and your general perceptions of the result. Sure. So I, I think, you know, if you look at the FTP, uh, obviously uh, the party has been through a journey uh, since four years ago. Um, and I think what we can see now, there's a real appetite for reform-focused government and, and, and real creative change. What we can also, you know, we, we have already seen that in the way how the coalition talks were approached. You know, the this unconventional citrus coalition that was uh, formed in the coalition talks uh, was all, already something something new. I think, you know, if the question is, what about progressive change? I think it depends to, uh, on your understanding of progressive. I think if you if you think about it as as fortunate, then then absolutely. And I think the FTP is up for that, uh, also for reform, but in a centrist way and not necessarily left. And I think this is where some of the risks lie. I think if you if you frame um, the, the the coalition negotiations as kind of light versus dark or progress versus regress or you know firing up the culture wars, I think there's a big risk in creating fissures there. So I think, you know, it, it, it will require a high dose of pragmatism. I think it will it will require the ability to govern uh, complexity creatively. I think that is possible. And after all, you know, as, as um, Marion Dönhoff said, uh, a liberal of the past, the legitimate place of the liberal is, is between all chairs. And I think that's a, that's a real opportunity here. 
um, for all parties involved. Um, and, you know, we know internationally and also from Germany, from Rhineland Palatinate, that uh, traffic light collisions can, can work. Um, so so I, I, I'm quite optimistic. Um, but of course, uh, as, as both uh, uh, Ricarda and Tobias have said, um, the proof of the parting remains in the eating. And so we'll, we'll see the next weeks what will come of it. What what do you make about that youth support for the FDP? Do you think do you see it as support for a sort of a, a broad sense of modernization, or do you see particular policies of the FDPs that, that appeal to younger voters? I, I think you know if you look at issues like like digitization in Germany and generally kind of um, how open, how creative the public sector uh, is, how um, it, entrepreneurship is being supported. Um, I think there's a lot to do there, and I agree. You know, Germany is a low. Uh, investment country, uh, but but that's that's kind of part of the of the equation, right? It's also again how how Germany understands its public service, how supportive uh, it is to entrepreneurs, how education is being organized. I think you know, particularly in the last couple of years, we have seen a lot of issues there, and I think the FTP has has been over the last years uh, been been a voice of of criticizing that and also showing potentially um, some some vision how it could be different. So I think. Uh, to a lot of young people, um, this this has been attractive, and this is why I think they have been that successful. I think that's a very good point on which to end. Just to round up, um, a reflection from me. I mean, you know, in my own writing and, and the news days, we've been optimistic about the possibilities of this traffic light government. And it seems to me, listening to these comments over the last hour and fifteen minutes, you know, there are two ways that such a government could go. One is that it's all about the lowest common denominator. And it's who gets what, who manages to kind of get their way on this or that. And, and as I think Ricardo said, you know, it becomes you have this area, you have that area that matters to you, and I have this area. And it seems to me that that sort of government where you see everything as a series of zero-sum dials, more state, more market, more green, more liberal, more liberal, more social, is a recipe for a government that disappoints and a recipe for a government that doesn't hold together politically. And that's the one way. And the other way, it seems to me, is actually a sense of a properly coherent project with common ownership, where you say we we pool our different approaches to these things to try and make something better than what we can do alone or fragmented. And that if if in these coalition talks, the three parties can form something genuinely cohesive, something genuinely new that brings together the best of what each of them have to offer, it could be tremendously exciting indeed for Germany and indeed for sort of progressivism internationally. So here's hoping we get the second sort of government. If a traffic light comes together at all, it's, we need to remember it's still possible that it won't. So with that, I'd like to say a very big thank you to uh, Tobias Dürer. Thank you, Tobias. Thank you. And to Ricarda Lang. Thank you for joining us, Ricarda. Thank you. for so nice. And congratulations again on your on your election. I've been Jeremy Cliff from the New Statesman. Thank you to Das Pogelsky-Wesentrum for hosting this. And thank you to all of you who uh, joined us to listen and uh, participate. Thanks very much. These first four episodes were recorded as part of the Progressive Governance Summit 2021. Going beyond our traditional yearly conference format, we will continue to produce more events, podcasts and papers on progressive politics year-round. If you want to learn more about the Progressive Governance Summit or re-watch our debates from 2021, go to the progressive-governance.eu slash rewatch or check out the link in our show notes. This podcast was produced with music by Armin Moellam. Thanks for listening. Catch you at the next episode of Talking Progress, the podcast that explores progressive ideas for Germany, Europe and transatlantic spaces.